welcome to Overcoming, the podcast to support you in your healing, growth, and overcoming journey. My name is Taylor, I am your host, and I'm here to support you through tools, resources, and also shared lived experiences to inspire you to take back your life regardless of life's messiness. I am also a doctor of occupational therapy, certified trauma professional, and survivor who's been healing for years to remind you that anything is possible. Before we get started, I want to remind you that there is a trigger warning present throughout this entire podcast just due to the heavy nature of trauma and also shared stories from our guests. Additionally, this is for educational purposes only. Make sure that you are checking out and going to see your medical providers and psychology professionals for individualized advice. Again, take care of yourself. If you need crisis resources, they are on my website. You can also contact the emergency services. And now that all of that is out of the way, I invite you to take some deep breaths, ground yourself, and join me in this overcoming journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Overcoming the Podcast. I am so excited today to bring on one of my favorite people in the world. Um, We have known each other for, gosh, like 2018, 2019, that long now. Um, She is a fellow occupational therapist turned entrepreneur and really become one of my closest friends back when I was like tailor-made OT, um, if anyone's been following me for that long. So I am just so excited because what she's doing is something that I have recognized that I need. And I'm so, so excited to get into more in this episode. We're going to be talking a lot about eating patterns and um, trauma. And I know that I did this reel recently. Um, I made this series, Long-Term Effects of Trauma, that I live with. And a lot of people resonated with stuff with the food. So I hope this episode is fruitful and helpful for you. And we're bringing in Emily, who has more of the specialized area in this to share a little bit more about that along with her personal story. So Emily, do you want to introduce yourself, share why you're here, that kind of thing? Sure. Hello, everybody. I'm Emily Roberts. And I am, like Taylor said, an occupational therapist. And I also recently started my own business um, as an intuitive eating counselor and wellness coach. And so I'm kind of like in the transition right now. A lot of what I do is mental health OT, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm in that transition right now of calling myself a coach versus calling myself an OT and how that works out legally um, with taking clients. But my passion in life is just to help people who have struggled with their eating habits, um, maybe have had disordered eating, maybe um, have horrible body image or body shame associated with a lot of the struggles that they have in their life and in their participation with their daily activities, um, maybe their social relationships, maybe it, maybe it is just the fact of them eating, um, and maybe it's I mean, it could really be anything, just helping them live a better, more well life without the shame associated with what I feel like our current wellness culture has. Oh yes. So does. (laughs) Yes. So that is my passion in life. Um, and I am super excited to be here. Like Taylor said, we have been friends for many years and this conversation has been postponed and postponed and postponed. So I'm super Yes. Super happy to finally be talking with her. Um, she's helped me a lot in my own life, inspired me to kind of take the next steps with my business, um, guided me on how to do so. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I'm just really happy to finally be talking with her on her podcast, which I know is a dream of hers. So I'm so glad that she finally took the, took the step and we're here. Well, thank you. Um, you're you're so sweet. I mean, I, it's funny because you're just like, oh, I look up to her, and I'm just like, I feel like I'm just I'm doing this. I'm like following my intuition, but I'm like, I kind of know what I'm doing, kind of don't know what I'm doing. So we're just kind of going with the flow here. But I just, I love how you and I started off together, super traditional, super set on what we were gonna do, and then somewhere along the way, we both were like, you know what? I'm gonna branch out. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tap into my passions, and it's interesting to me because while we went into different ways, like I do more of coaching with trauma and survivors and education, and you're more having to help people with like nutrition, intuitive eating. 
it still kind of goes together. And it's just amazing to me how impactful trauma can be and stress can be to our basic needs. And this is something for me that I have found out recently, which I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute, but you know, it really, really just stress or our daily life stuff. Like even the simplest of things can be impacted by trauma or triggers or, you know, like our past and how that shows up in the culture, like you were saying. So I think this is a much needed conversation and I cannot wait to get into it. So, okay. um, Absolutely. All right. So the podcast is called overcoming, right? So a lot of what we talk about is firsthand accounts of people of what is overcoming in their own life. And I know that you have a story that kind of led you to this passion. Do you mind sharing what overcoming is for you with everyone else? Yes, absolutely. So like you just said, (laughs) um, everybody kind of has their story that I feel like leads them to their passion, right? Like you went through years of abuse that led you to become this trauma guru that you are. Um, I went through years of almost abusing myself mentally, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but also just struggling with my own body image. So so ever since I was a really young girl, like I, I don't know, the first time I can think of it is like when I was eight years old, I grew up with two older brothers and I grew up in a very, I grew up in a very loving household, um, had a great childhood, but they of course picked on me all the time (laughs) because they're brothers. And I think I'll I'll try to keep it consolidated my story, but I think a combination of just being picked on all the time from my brothers and having friends who were of different body size than me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to preface this by saying I have thin privilege. I have never been in a bigger body. Um, so that's important to say because people who are in larger bodies do experience life very differently. But even as somebody in a smaller body, I still got picked on for what I looked like. So I still got called chubby by my um, brothers. And then my best friend who is like still my best friend to this day, but she is just a very different build than I am. She's like very long legs and I have like short and athletic build. So like mm-hmm. I've got the thick thighs, save lives. Like that's, that's all me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I resonate there. That's for sure. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I just kind of quickly attributed like the guys liking my friend to, um, and like my brothers always calling out like the fat on my body and the rolls on my stomach and that kind of stuff to my mom always making mention of how much I'm eating and to be careful not to, to eat too much or else I'm going to be as big as a house. Like she would say those mm. things. And of course it wasn't intentionally meant to hurt me. Yeah. She, when I look back on it, I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but when mm-hmm. I look back on it and even to this day, I know that she struggles and she just didn't want me to struggle in the way that she struggles. So yeah, she was saying those comments out of trying to protect me from her own belief that if she was smaller, she would feel better about herself. Um, and that's a super common belief that we'll get into, but I struggled with that. And, um, eventually when I got to the point of like high school, when you can kind of control your own eating, Mm -hmm. I took that and ran with it. It was not the, um, point of like Instagram yet, or where like influencers were really a thing, but I would read the women's health magazines and the eat this, not that books. And I would just take that and try to make myself as small as possible. Mm -hmm. I, um, played soccer my whole life. And so I was very athletic person, very active person. And I got to the point where I was limiting what I was eating today or every day to about like, I mean, there was no my fitness pal at that point. But if I had to guess, it was probably around like 1000 to 1200 calories a day. Mm -hmm. And I was exercising when I got home from school, like going to the gym and running for 45 minutes. And then I would go home. I would have a lean cuisine that was like 250 calories. And then I would go to soccer practice for an hour. And then I would stay for another hour for the guys practice. Mm. So I was exercising for like three hours straight and eating very, very little. And, um, 
yeah, because I thought that's how I was going to get a boyfriend or how I was going to get more friends or how I was going to be more perfect. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, perfectionistic tendencies, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess I'll talk a little bit about how that relates to the trauma that I experienced, the big trauma that I mm-hmm. experienced too, because I do think that it does relate in, in some way. So yeah, throughout all of that, of course, I'm trying to make myself as small as possible. Uh, I said I was a perfectionist. And then come my senior year of high school, my one of my other best friends, we had like a group of six of us. There were three guys and three girls. And my one of my other best friends was dating one of the guys. We were all super, super close. But then they ended up breaking up. And long story short, he ended up sexually assaulting me and Mm. two of my other friends or no, one of my other friends. And then somebody else we found out later that he had sexually assaulted her too. Um, Mm. and although that, that is never my fault. And I know that now, um, that definitely caused a bunch of issues within our friend group, a bunch of issues, like for my self-esteem things that I'm still working through now, but all that to say it's connected because even though it's, I want to be careful how I word this, even though it's not my fault, I know that and maybe you can kind of correct me if I say some of this stuff wrong. Or go for um, it. you're fine. Speak openly. You're good. Yes. Um, it's not my fault. I still was, I, I had, and I still have to this day, a really hard time setting boundaries. So I mm-hmm. think of course I did say no, I did not act as if I wanted that to happen, Mm -hmm. but I think the fact that I was a people pleaser, um, he was somebody that I cared about. I could have been a little bit more forceful had I not been trying so hard to get other people to like me and having my worth and my validation come from others. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does. And I'm going to pause there for just a second because I have so much to say on this. Okay. So I want to first talk about what you said most recently about the assault. And then I have some things to touch on in the back after the other stuff you talked about, because you shared so many powerful things and (laughs) I want to unpack those. So if I forget, if I like jump around, forgive me. Um, That's okay. okay. That's kind of what I did too. So no, I mean, (laughs) I appreciate it. And honestly, this audience is so used to the rambling because I've literally said in my first episode, I'm like, I jump around, so get used to it. Um, But you know, that just happens, right? So, okay. So let's unpack what you said about the assault. Um, So first of all, I feel like this is a very common feeling. I could have done more. I could have said more that, you know, I know it wasn't my fault, but there could have been something else, right? I want to remind you of something, which I know, you know, um, but I'm also want to put this into perspective for other people that people pleasing is a stress response that people who have gone through chronic trauma or just challenges or anything like that, that is a very, very common thing. Okay. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying. And I also want to remind you that that is a trauma response. Okay. So, you know, you did say no, you do, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that I want to remind you too, is that obviously, and again, I know, you know, it's not your fault, but just to anyone else, like it didn't just happen to you. It happened to other people. Right. And it's very clear that this person was taking advantage of a situation where they were hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just absolutely not okay. Um, And so for me, when I think about what you said, kind of going back to body image, okay? Um, One thing that you were talking about that kind of struck a chord with me, like an aha moment, you were talking about how your body image has, has fluctuated, right? Mm -hmm. That if you were thinner, that if you were different, then you would feel different about yourself. Um, and so what you were saying about your family as well, just like, you know, like the small things, like picking apart that kind of thing. 
I relate to that. And I think some of that was not meant to be harmful on my end, but I also, there was a heavy part of my abuse, especially when I was like 15, 16, where my primary abuser was trying to say anything they could to make me lose my personal power and make me feel horrible about myself. So for me, it was, you're fat, you're ugly. No guy's ever going to like you. You look pregnant, you, you know, and those kind of things. again, even said jokingly or meant to be malicious can have such an impact on our body image. When our body image is off, it can also disconnect us to ourself. Yeah. So there is this, and for me, I noticed this, especially post-assault, and I don't know if you have as well, or if you want to chime in. Um, But when we're already struggling with connecting to our body, when we're already struggling with understanding who we are and being comfortable with who we are, when something happens like that, where we are taken advantage of, we can easily start picking ourselves apart, right? I wish I would have, I, you know, I could have done more and that kind of thing. And all of those thoughts are valid. However, it's still assault. And it was very clear that it was that position, right? Yeah. The interesting thing is that afterwards, many people, for me, it was like a depersonalization, After that happened, and even though for me, my, if you, my, I talked more about mine in episode seven, um, Mm -hmm. for me, I started off when I was asleep. However, there were parts for me where it was not safe for me to physically fight back while I tried to sometime, you know, I would literally try and get up and I was slammed back down. Mm -hmm. And so the more I would try and push and I did, the more violently I got hurt. So eventually my body was just like, we're just going to shut down and we're going to do the best we can right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And even though the intent was very clear that this was like, this is not a thing. The dynamic was not right. Anything like that. What happened after the assault is I felt completely disconnected to my body. Yeah. That that's what I needed to do in the middle of the assault in order to survive completely yeah. disconnect from myself. Okay. Yeah. And I think too, that like, as you say that it brings up like the different trauma responses, right? Like mm-hmm. you can either fight back and like, and, and in that moment, that's just what our body is going to do. Like, it's not yeah. something like, Oh, let me choose to do this. This is oh, just no. what, our body chooses to do, but it comes with so much shame. Absolutely. And I think learning more about trauma actually helped me a lot with that mm-hmm. situation because it wasn't a fight back kind of thing for me. And yeah. I always, I mean, people shamed me for that. And then I also yeah. shamed myself. Like we went to the police and the police basically asked me all those questions. Well, why didn't you fight back? All the victim blaming stuff. Oh yeah. Um, they even asked me, well, it probably felt good, didn't it? And I was like, I was like, please get me out of here. But that whole disconnection, that's actually the reason why I didn't go through, like, you, nobody knows this hearing this. (laughs) I did not go through the whole process of like, Mm. after that one time meeting with the police, because I was just like, I'm going off to college, I can start my life anew, like, I can kind of forget I mean, this also goes back to the disconnecting part, right? Too, because I'm like, I can almost yeah. forget everything that happened and just move mm-hmm. on with my life, mm-hmm. um, which of course it does not work that way. But, um, but yeah, so I completely relate to the disconnecting from your body. I completely yeah. relate to the freeze response. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I was very ashamed of the way that my body reacted in that situation. And then of course, on top of all the body image issues I had before that, I think that just exacerbated a lot of that for me. I'm sure. And instead of now, oh, it's just the way that I look, that's an issue. It became, Mm -hmm. oh, it's the, it's who I am and the way that I am is an Mm. issue. And so it became more of, yeah, I I think worth was always the issue to begin with, but it really kind of validated that, that judgment in my mind that I am not worthy of Mm -hmm. respect. I'm not worthy of, um, love. And anytime a guy looks at my body now, all he wants is sex. And Mm -hmm. if he wants to have sex with me, that means that he wants to take advantage of my body and not like that he loves me. Right. So I think I think that it just kind of is all connected in that way. Um, and then also because of it, there are more things that have kind of made it worse. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that like, that makes so much sense. Like just logical sense too. When you think about it, like of anything having to do with it's the way you think of sexual assault, it, it is the deepest violation that, you know, the most intimate and sometimes violent violation that you can have on someone. Um, you know, like I said, I've been through a lot. Um, and for me, the level of sexual assault was more of like a spiritual wound to me because to me, that was such a sacred, special thing. Um, and it felt like it was just taken from me at that point. Right. That like, I had to make it in order to cope for me, I had to make sure that the act of sex was not, was not a big deal like it used to be. Right. So I even found myself years down the road, you know, being more hypersexual and just hooking mm-hmm. up with random strangers. And that was not me. And I held such mm-hmm. deep shame for that, but that was my way of coping. Yeah. I, you know, I had significant body issues. Um, for me, luckily, one of the th- ways that I coped was through exercise. Um, I did Krav Maga, but I had to make my body feel like a weapon in yeah. order to be able to defend myself. And so it, I was healthier then, like physically healthier. And I wasn't too much with like restricting things, but I would always be very conscious of me getting too attractive, if that makes sense. Like yeah, if I was someone who was too desirable that something would happen again, right? And that's just mm-hmm. not something that we should ever have to think about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, in my situation, it was a non-related father figure to me. And so obviously to me, there was absolutely no indication and it was a complete breach of trust. However, I was so convinced that if I was not the one in control, if I was not the one initiated, then I would just go out somewhere randomly and that would happen again. And I would continue to be taken advantage of. And there was nothing physically I could do because guys are bigger and stronger and taller, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, I kind of did. That's what I just disconnected. And Um, I agree that it brought up body image stuff too, because for me, um, I had this again, similarly. So my mom was someone who, from what I heard when she was younger, she was about a size 10 size 12, somewhere in there about where I sit right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then she got married and started having kids and she just kind of stopped doing anything for her health. The weight stage didn't try and take it off. And so she also was hypercritical about my weight mm-hmm. and her own image for a while in my childhood. Um, at one point when I was in my senior year of high school, so this is after the divorce has already started. My biological father had moved out of the house. She started doing the HCG diet, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but essentially it's like a starvation diet. And I didn't know much at the time. Um, but she ordered from the sketchy website, these HCG things where she would inject her them in her stomach daily. It's like the hormone that you naturally produce when you're pregnant that helps yeah. you gain and lose weight quickly. Okay. So she literally would inject that into her stomach. And I just remember that there were only certain things that you could eat. It was like chicken with no skin, strawberries, blueberries. You could have cottage cheese, maybe 500 calories a day was the limit. Wow. You weren't even allowed to have certain lotions because it could go into your skin and like cause some, like cause some kind of reaction weight gain. And at the time I was like, at first I was like, that's a little sketchy, whatever. But then I watched my mom do it and she lost a lot of weight. And I was like, huh. And so during the divorce and during the stress for me, I was always, as a kid, I was known as the super skinny one. Like I was a tall string bean. Okay. Uh Like I, I feel like since I was like third grade, I was probably at least five, six, like I was, I was tall and, um, I was always like a double zero, tiny, tiny, no curves, no nothing. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, um, between like my sophomore junior year, I gained like a size or two. And then in my junior year, I just woke up and I had hips, like (laughs) big hips. I still have like these like tiger stretch marks on my hips from that. And in one year, I went from like a size five to a size like 17 or 19. 
And that was from overeating. That was from, you know, like all of this coping stuff. So by the time that I was like, okay, well, maybe I should try something. I, you know, I had already gained all this weight. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing the HCD diet after I saw my mom do it. I literally was, you pinched your stomach, you would inject stuff in there. I mean, I'm not recommending this at all. This, I hope this is not even on the market. Um, you know, and like, literally she was just buying it from like other countries and it was getting shipped from somewhere sketchy. Like it really was not really was not good. And this is like 2008, 2009, like when all of those like red mountain weight loss, or like all of those weight loss things were super huge. Like you go to a weight loss clinic and they would do all kinds of weird gross diets. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things. And, um, so I dropped weight really fast. I started looking really good. And I was like, Ooh, I feel more confident in my body. All of these things that my biological father was saying about me that I'm undesirable and I'm ugly and I'm fat. Like my face isn't even round anymore, which was not healthy. Cause for me, that's just not where my body likes to sit. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is there was a part of this diet where you had what was called a load day. And before you restricted yourself, you would eat as many calories as you could to sustain yourself for the next month. Just think about that for a second. Logically, like there is as no much logic. sugar as I know I'm like as much sugar, as much fat. It's just basically so like you get your cravings out of the way. Your body has like these reserves if they need them. <sighs> just so bad. I, I cannot believe I did this. Um, And there's even a potential that I could be infertile from this because I'm literally injecting this hormone that shouldn't be in my body. So who the heck knows, you know? Um, And I'm sure there were lawsuits and stuff with this, but anyways, so like I would just drop weight like crazy and then I would get off the 30 days and you're supposed to, you know, take a break before you do another cycle. And when I would, I would be so hungry that I would just binge Mm -hmm. for a month and then gain it all back. I mean, it was to the point where I was losing sometimes like one to two pounds a day. Yeah, that's not okay. No, (laughs) but I was like, wow, look at me. I look so good. I was feeling confident. Mm-mm. Yeah. And it's, it's there. I'm sure there are pictures in my senior year book. Actually, there's one from like the beginning of my senior year where I was like really big. And then all of a sudden I'm just like super tiny <laughs> and it, it was just, it was really not okay. But so body image issues with that. But for me, that was trying to take back power over abuse. Right. Because that yeah, was one of the absolutely. things that, you know, I was told. And yeah. so I also, after I was so I I always had had issues with body image as well and tied to trauma. And Mm -hmm. then as again, so I stopped doing that senior year, but I couldn't keep the weight off. I found out that, you know, I was stress eating. I was in college. I was a pre-med major, like there's so much going on. And so my coping mechanism was eating, Mm -hmm. eating a lot. And also I had undiagnosed food issues at the time that I didn't know was happening. Um, you know, I was having really bad migraines and just bloated to the point where I was distended sometimes. And it was so painful, ended up being food allergies to a whole bunch of stuff. But so my body was holding more inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I felt personally bad about that. I was like, wow, I look horrible. Like I called myself Tweety bird with my cheeks being so big. Aww. And I mean, I, well, I was way bigger then. Um, but it's also because I didn't know how to take care of my health. Yeah. Um, and now I have thyroid issues and I have an autoimmune condition and I'm sure that a lot of that stuff played into that stuff developing. Um, it would make sense, but that I developed that shortly after I was assaulted. Yeah. When I was 22. So it just shows that like your physical health also can be impacted a lot by the trauma, not only just like the body image stuff and the psychological factors, but physically as well. We oh, know absolutely. Like yes. the immune system responses mm-hmm. and, you know, so I don't even know where I was going with this. Sorry. It's just, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me because there is definitely a link between that. And Mm -hmm. when you get into that survival mode, you're either overeating to cope or you're restricting your eating when you're stressed. And if that continues long enough, that can change into a challenging pattern that is really hard to get out of. It can change into an eating disorder. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's, um, I know you've read this book. I'm sure the body keeps the score. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am currently reading it. I've had it for like two and a half years (laughs) and finally Mm -hmm. started reading it. Um, 
And I don't know if you remember the study that they talk about in there, but where they look at the functional MRI images of people who've gone through trauma and have PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I forget the exact area of the brain, but the area of the brain that is related to our self-awareness does not light up Yeah, with people who have PTSD, which I think it's the prefrontal cortex. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's the frontal lobe somewhere, some specific area of the prefrontal prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So that is like super, super interesting to me because that just goes to show. And it even says in the book, like the disconnection that can happen with the body and the link to eating disorders. Yes. And I think even if you don't have a full-blown eating disorder, which I think is important to talk about because Mm -hmm. the DSM five doesn't even include like orthorexia, which is an eating disorder. Um, the eating, the, if I were to have gone to a doctor and been diagnosed, I would have been diagnosed with orthorexia with that overeating or under eating and overexercising is what that is or the unhealthy obsession of eating healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, so like only eating whole foods and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I tell people that I had orthorexic tendencies because I don't want to, I was never diagnosed, but that, um, that's not even in the DSM yet. And, um, but yeah, disordered eating is just as harmful as having an eating disorder. Yes. And that can cause disordered eating. I also think too, that just the fact that after you go through trauma, you want to grasp at some sort of control of something. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I know that we kind of have like different belief systems a little bit, but you mentioned that you think it's a very like spiritual thing for you with um, everything that's happened. And then the way that you see your body and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would a thousand percent agree with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I really think that I'm Christian. So I really think that the devil attacks women in that way. Like he really understands that our bodies are something that is sensitive to us. And he wants like, cause there's so, of course it can happen to anybody, but I think yeah. that as, I think as women, we are just tend to be more sensitive to what our bodies look like ever. Of course, diet culture is a hundred percent. Like, um, what's the word? Like focused on us pretty much, yep. but which I'm sure has an impact, but I really think that that's something that is already vulnerable to us. And so when we go through something that all of our control is taken away from us, that's something that we try to grasp that for control back. And especially yeah. with a sexual assault or yes. something that's related to your body um, as an assault, your, your control of your body is being taken away. Well, how can I control my body again? Oh, well, I, mm-hmm. I control what goes in and out of my mouth. And so how about I control my eating? And so I think that's just yep. a very common way for women to try to grasp that control again. And then especially with the culture that we live in constantly praising people for losing weight and praising people for not eating as much and yes. saying how bad overeating is for you, which I'm not saying that drastic overeating and chronic overeating isn't bad, mm-hmm. but sometimes that can serve us too, right? Like even for you, yeah, you mentioned that food was a way that you coped with all of that. Mm-hmm. We need a way to cope with our feelings. Like that's, <laughs> and, and even my disordered eating that happened after. So even after I was sexually assaulted, I went to college. I had a similar kind of pattern to you where I just said F this and kind of did whatever I wanted. My freshman year of college, I went to the bars, made out with guys, Mm -hmm. um, ate whatever I wanted, kind of stopped Mm -hmm. working out. I was just like a different person. Yeah. Um, And then I realized (laughs) how horrible I felt (laughs) doing all that and decided to go back to my old patterns and my fitness pal was now a thing. So then I got into my fitness pal and started actually tracking my calories. And, uh, that became a horrible obsession that turned into, if it fits your macros and it turned into watching fitness influencers on YouTube who are bodybuilding and thinking that that's what I needed to do just to live a normal life. Even though I didn't want to become a bikini competitor, like it was, it got really, really bad. And after all of that, 
I still felt horrible and disconnected to my body. (laughs) And I think that that's what kind of triggered me to be like, okay, this did serve me because I had a lot of different transitions. I was moving all over the country for school and stuff. There was a lot of ways that exercise and controlling my eating served me in the moment. But right now I'm at a rock bottom place with my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I'm recognizing that if I don't do something about this, I am going to have an eating disorder if I don't already. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's when I realized that this is no longer serving me and yep. in the long term is only going to make me unhealthier and I need to do something about it and find another way to cope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Em, you just hit on so many things. I, so it's self-awareness piece, right? That when our mental health dwindles, that our basic needs can go out the window, how we control things. I mean, that's, that's what it is. That's, you know, it's, I can control my body. And I've also heard survivors who are like, you know, I don't want to look desirable. So I'm going to binge eat. I'm going to make myself bigger. And maybe I won't be as desirable. Maybe they'll leave me alone. You know, I want to feel invisible. I want to, you know, or even as a punishment, there's um, in the emotional eating principle of intuitive eating, they go through like this uh, continuum of emotional eating. Mm -hmm. And it goes from like, basically just you're gaining pleasure from eating, which I hope that we all gain pleasure from eating to binging for punishment or binging to rebel. And I think that that is super connected to trauma, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I resonate so much with that rock bottom place. And so you know, like, like I mentioned before, I've kind of been a yo-yo my whole life. Like I'll, I'll diet and, you know, go back and forth and then I'll get too big and then I'll shame myself. And then I'll work really hard to keep it off. But I realized for me that my body does not like being as small as I like it to be. It never has. I'm five, nine and three quarters. And, you know, I'm, I want to be like 155. My body likes to be 165, 170 when I'm taking care of myself, which to me, it's like a size 10 to 12. I fluctuate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, also I have an autoimmune condition. Okay. So switching gears here, I want to talk a lot about your coaching and some things that you would address. So some people know, and I know there are some listeners as well. Um, there's been a lot that's been going on in my life, a lot of instability. If you want to know more about that, you can absolutely go check out episode 11. I talk about it in detail and actually this is another day because we re-recorded it when she was supporting me. I was triggered and just like word vomited and it ended up being more about me and less about her. So I'm like, I would feel better if we redid this. So that's what's happening right now. If you see us looking different on YouTube, that's it. But human moments, they happen. Trauma moments, they happen, right? Yes. So accountability for that and moving forward. But I know her coaching is so valuable. So I want you all to hear it. So thank you for being willing to redo this with me, Emily. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to get to talk to you again. (laughs) I know. Right. Okay. So, um, recapping some of the stuff that would be important for you. So one of the things that I talked about in my real series that a lot of people resonated with were food habits that are impacted by trauma. Okay. Um, there were a bunch of triggers that came up for me basically when I was feeling unstable and was not providing for myself at that point. So I basically didn't feel like I was able to get my basic needs met if I was not the one providing for myself. Okay. Mm -hmm. Someone was taking care of me. They offered and is a very close, safe person to me. However, I was still feeling a lot of things where I would skip meals. I would try and hide snacks. There was a lot of shame. Um, one of the things that people resonated with that I shared online was like in my own house now hiding wrappers of things that I ate at the bottom of the trash can just for, I don't even fully know why maybe judgment. I'm not sure. Um, but I've also, since all of that instability period, I found myself eating less and sometimes, I mean, definitely eating less than I should in a day. I know that for myself, but very irregular disordered eating patterns. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that, if you have any questions, any follow-ups, anything like that, I just want to know where would you kind of get started in your coaching process? So for people listening, this is kind of like, you're listening to a live coaching thing. I'm not going to like coach you through it. Now it's just going to be like, Emily is talking to me and I'm her client and Emily (laughs) is the amazing coach that she is. So, (laughs) 
Well, thank you. So, um, so first of all, I would start off by asking you exactly what you just told me, kind of what are your, what are the things that you are having a hard time with and what is important to you to be able to change and why? Mm -hmm. So Taylor, why do you want to change these eating habits? Um, well, it doesn't feel healthy to me. And also I have an autoimmune condition where I need to take care of myself and I need to be eating right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I feel significantly more tired and there's also a lot of shame in it that I am a 29 year old woman who can't give myself proper nutrition like that there, you know, it's, it's hard to admit that. And, um, you know, I just feel like those basic needs, like that's the foundation of your life. Right. And that's part of getting my life structure back on track. Absolutely. And I, I love that you're saying that you want to take better care of yourself and that you want to better support yourself with the autoimmune condition that you have. Mm -hmm. And I also love that you focus a lot on how you want to feel Mm -hmm. because the way that I do my coaching is I take a compassionate approach to wellness. So that means I don't focus on your appearance. Um, and I coach you to, to kind of go away from that. So we, we meet you where you're at. So Mm -hmm. if you were really concerned about the way that you're looking, um, we would dive into that, but it sounds like you're not, it sounds like you're just concerned about the habits that you have and taking better care of yourself. Yeah. And looks used to be a thing and like that can be a trigger sometimes, but for the most part, it's just taking care of myself and looks could come later, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I'm pretty comfortable. Okay. So that's wonderful. So I would, I would probably start with, um, with the fact that you felt like you had to hide and even still feel like you have to hide, or maybe the fact that you're not You don't feel like you're worth taking up space in the kitchen or maybe even worth eating what is going to be satisfying to your body, Um, Mm -hmm. whether that be a candy wrapper or whether that be a piece or an apple or something or another piece of fruit. So I know that before you were living in somebody's home. And so that can be that can be a very normal human feeling to not want to take up space in somebody else's home, especially when you don't have a way to contribute. But I think with a typical client, I, they're probably not as self-aware as you are because you're a a trauma professional. (laughs) There's a lot of awareness there. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) I would, I would start with self-awareness, but you are already very self-aware. So then we can kind of get into more of the coaching as far as what are these core beliefs that are Mm -hmm. causing you to feel like you're not worthy of that? Mm. So I think you've mentioned some before to me in our last call, but just for the sake of the podcast, do you want to kind of get into what some of those beliefs? So I was, so, I mean, size does kind of go into it a little bit. I was told by my biological father slash primary abuser that, um, I was fat, ugly, just like my mother, um, who was overweight. Um, and that was always like a shame piece thrown in my face. Um, but also that I was unstable and unable to take care of myself. That was a huge thing. Like you can't take care of people. You can't take care of yourself. You can't manage your emotions. What makes you think that, you know, and like, that was like that huge thing. And again, was that true? No. However, that was the manipulation piece in there. Right. And so I also know that, it, it feels like a, I'm bad if something happens because, you know, for instance, in hiding things, there are certain snacks or even a chair that we sat in that if my biological father said that that's mine and you can't have that, which often happened, like these are my kind of food. This is my snacks. I bought this for myself. Don't touch it. And, you know, and if we did, or if we didn't know, we would get in trouble, like abused. Right. And so it's like, I, I care deeply about people's belongings and their space because I don't want to overstep and I don't want to be bad or intrusive Mm -hmm. or, you know, something like that. Do you feel like there are certain foods that you consider to be, or you consider yourself to be bad if you eat them? Usually a lot of sugar. Um, I was shamed for eating cereal as a child. So I, you know, I, I used to come home from school and eat a giant bowl of cereal like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, every single time it was always like, a, oh my gosh, again with the sugary cereal. So, you know, I think when it comes down to sugar, when things that we would consider not as healthy, that that is something where I'm like, Ooh, or like a treat, like anything that doesn't feel like 
a meal mm-hmm. and something that's actually nutritious and instead is more of like a snack or I'm snacking too much. That's really the things that I hide in between mealtimes. And actually okay. that, make, that makes sense. Based yes. On what I've been through. Wow. Yes. That Ooh. does make a lot of sense Yeah, <laughs> because it, your, your parents shamed you for having snacks and mm-hmm. you were okay if you ate a meal and probably the meal that they provided for you. Yes. Um, at times it sounds like you also had to provide that for yourself, but yes, <laughs> yes true. <laughs> but those snacks, and honestly, you're not alone in that Taylor. A lot of people have a hard time with snacking, mm-hmm. even if they don't go through trauma, but I would say even if people haven't gone through big trauma, like you have like emotional abuse, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of parenting factors that go into, um, the way that we eat. So Mm -hmm. even for myself, who I would not consider, I've gone through emotional abuse, but my mom would comment on things that I would eat. And especially between mealtimes, because if you think about it, cause we're, we're approaching things with compassion, right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not asking people to just approach like abusers with compassion, right? Because that would be a way hard thing to do. But in just a normal case, we're approaching things with compassion and I'm not a parent yet, but I can imagine that it would be very frustrating making meals and then having your children not eat them. Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) I'm sure. I hate cooking right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can imagine it's going to even be worse when I have kids and they decide not to eat any of it, but they want snacks constantly. So I'm sure that there is some, some of that in there when it comes to it, but you also have to realize that it's not a bad thing to, to honor your hunger. Mm -hmm. And so with you, I would probably go into a lot more of your, we could go two directions and we'd probably approach this from two directions and work maybe on some things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that are listening, I typically don't do just like, actually I don't, not typically I don't do (laughs) like Mm -hmm. just one coaching call. If I'm going to be coaching somebody, we do it over a matter of months, um, typically like six months. So this would be a very like long process, but with somebody like Taylor and I, I am going to be coaching Taylor a little bit. We would go into some of those core beliefs. So Mm -hmm. we know where they stemmed from, but how can we move forward? How can we really attack those core beliefs? And I know Taylor has said this before. She's already seeing a therapist and she's already Mm -hmm. using some modalities that are extremely helpful that I am not certified in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So we wouldn't be doing the same thing that her therapist is doing, but we may be kind of piggybacking off of that and continuing some of the action steps that um, they're taking in our coaching sessions. So that may look like some um, reframing of negative thoughts that may look like some more self-awareness training, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. um, that would attack more of the worth piece, the core beliefs, which really is the root cause of the problem here, because the way that she is acting with her eating habits is really just a way to try to control and try to distract from those, um, beliefs and those thoughts that she's having. Now, moving forward from that, we Mm -hmm. would probably go into a lot of those, um, beliefs that she has about food itself. And then also how that, how food ties to her worthiness and how she feels like she can show up Mm -hmm. in her body and, um, show up in the kitchen, show up in a home. So it sounds like to me, Taylor has, and now I'm speaking in third person, but no, that's fine. You're good. You're good. Don't figure it out. Yes. Taylor, it sounds like that you have, um, not necessarily like a horrible relationship with food, but your relationship with food could use some work. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's most of us, honestly, even, Mm -hmm. even in the healing journey, we still have to continue to remind ourselves daily because we're bombarded with messages in our culture telling us that these foods are good and these foods are bad and you should do this and you shouldn't eat this. But sugar is a super, super common one because we're told that sugar is addictive and sugar is unhealthy. And mm-hmm. of course, in excess of anything, it's not going to be good for us. But um, viewing certain foods as just bad or unhealthy, no matter mm-hmm. what it does to our body is never going to make it make our behaviors around it any more what's the word I'm trying to think of like controlled. Mm-hmm. So the way that you're hiding wrappers, that shows me that you feel like whatever you're eating is not a good food to be eating. Right. 
Yes. And even if it's in your own home, you're almost hiding it from yourself. It's ex- it- yes, that's exactly it. Like, I don't want the judgment piece, right? I'm just like, right. pretend that didn't happen. Which is, yeah. yeah, exactly. Pretend that that, that didn't happen. Just another mm-hmm. kind of like, let's throw it under the rug and just kind of pretend that didn't happen, mm-hmm. which you've had to do your whole life, I'm sure. Yes. Oh, you've always yes. had to throw things under the rug and pretend it didn't happen and show mm-hmm. up like everything was okay. And so that's your, that's your normal go-to. That's oh, where you feel comfortable. That's good, Em. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, because yeah, growing up in my house, it was like to survive, I had to act like everything was good. And if it wasn't good, I was actively fighting or I was in fond response or I was people pleasing. So, oh, dang. Yes, that's yeah, that's that's solid. Yes. You're almost trying to trick yourself instead of tricking other people into thinking mm-hmm. that you're OK. And yeah. um, and that serves you in the moment, right? That's Mm -hmm. where this compassion piece comes in. That serves you in the moment because for a moment you aren't feeling that guilt and you aren't feeling that shame, but what if you could eat that snack, that same exact snack, throw the wrapper in the trash and not feel guilt and shame. Hmm. It's it's interesting because I've done that before and I've, I've been okay. It's, it's this whole this period of instability, which brought up, I think much more of like the deeper wounds in my childhood and the feelings of I'm not enough unless I contribute like that's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't just take up space unless I'm the one contributing here, um, giving value in some way. I think, I don't believe we cut it out, but I was talking about where, um, my friend's boyfriend would make meals and I wouldn't even want to get a second helping or eat with them. Even though we were like here, I was like, can I cook some, can I do something? Like I can't do money right now, but can I cook with you? Can I, you know, as like, what can I do to show you that I am valuable essentially is what I was saying. And that's, that's really heavy and you know, it's not always the case. So, yeah. And I think it's important to note too, though. And I don't know if we talked about this before, if you cut it out when you're, triggered, your nervous system is completely dysregulated, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you're not using your frontal lobe. You're not using your rational brain to make these decisions, to be able to even be self-aware in that moment and be Mm -hmm. like, listen, like, this is why I'm feeling this way. Let me block that thought out and move on and replace it with what I know is true. And, um, now that you're in a good space, you are more self-aware of that. And I think that even that's why when we say that healing is a journey, right? Because yeah. especially with people who have gone through trauma, healing is a journey because you're, you're going to get triggered. Um, mm-hmm. is, I'm sorry, guys. You're good. No. We live at home. There's dogs. Mine is sleep. Oh, yes. If anyone's watching on YouTube, you can see, oh, he was, he was like hanging out by my shoulder, almost looked like a little angel on my shoulder. <laughs> people know. I saw him back there. He was it's so imperfect. Cute. We're yes. all good dogs yes. bark. We're good. Yeah. And he barks a lot, but, That's fine. um, but yeah, I was saying that when your nervous system is dysregulated, you're not using your rational brain. You can't be self-aware mm-hmm. because that's just not how our brains work. Mm-hmm. So you have to realize that a lot of this is not in our control too, and have grace and compassion for yourself. And then have those like tools in your toolbox, which is where the coaching comes in, which is where seeing a therapist comes in, have those tools in your toolbox for those moments. If you can realize I'm triggered in this moment and somehow bring yourself back to using your rational brain, Mm -hmm. regulating your nervous system, doing something that does that real quick and meeting yourself where you're at, you can switch your reaction and your response and it's not going to be easy and it's still going to feel yucky and you're still going to want to hide and not do anything like how you were saying, Taylor, that, um, I don't know if they have to go back to episode 11 or whatever, but when you you can mention parts, I don't care. I just didn't want to take time (laughs) explaining all of it and possibly get triggered again. So, (laughs) yeah. So when you were saying in episode 11 that you, um, oh God, now my brain went away. (laughs) Um, Uh, we were just you, talking about the shame piece. Yes. You were saying that when you were, oh yeah. When you were there, you had to text your friend and you noticed like, listen, like this is not right. This is not okay, but I can't get myself through this. 
Yeah. What can I do? So you were able to recognize because you've done a lot of healing work yourself and mm-hmm. you are who you are, like trauma is your thing. You were able to realize this is what's happening right now. Yeah. We need as far as eating goes with us, like working together and coaching, I would want to give you a few um eating specific tools for yeah. your toolbox to, yeah. to help you in those moments because it's likely if you feel completely unstable again, that that Mm -hmm. may be something that comes up again. Yeah. And, and when you said like, it's a way to control what feels uncontrollable, like that just opened my eyes so much. Like I never thought of me, what feels like sabotaging my eating was actually a way of controlling something, but it is right. And, you know, and I think part of it too, is like my autoimmune condition has gotten worse and that's felt overwhelming. So instead of like knowing what to do or the exact steps, like I really was just, I wasn't really coached on that. It was just like, okay, it's getting worse. You need to do better. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, and like, we need to monitor this. Are you doing all these things? And like, I would fall out of habits and I, there's another part of it that if you want to talk about is something that was really common with other people too, Mm -hmm. um, is, you know, forgetting sometimes like not even eating until later, not having a routine, like, um, and even the fact of planning it, like planning Mm -hmm. a meal feels Mm -hmm. so overwhelming. If there's not already something made, it's like, well, then I don't eat. Like, I can't even think of what to cook or what to put together right now. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's so overwhelming that maybe I grab a snack and then I feel shameful because I probably should have had protein or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or it's, I run to fast food real fast and something that's, you know, really not great for me or, you know, doesn't really fill me up. You know, it's those kind of overwhelming things. Um, when it comes down to that planning and that structure, that is just really hard. And, um, I spoke about executive dysfunction a little bit on my page mm-hmm. too. And people were like, Oh my gosh, this is so me with eating. Like, how do I help this? Yeah. Um, so do you have any tips for that? Yes. So for that, I feel like my OT brain kind of turned on a little bit. I know. I, hear <laughs> you. I know. I know. So, so we're talking self-care routine now and mm-hmm. we're talking, let's have a plan before this happens. So Mm -hmm. we're going to figure out what meals feel like they may be manageable. And maybe that means you keep a couple of frozen pizzas or a couple of meals that you feel a little bit more comfortable eating in the freezer, Mm -hmm. something you can just take out, throw in the microwave, throw in the oven, and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Another thing that we're going to be thinking of is tuning into our hunger signals, because a lot of the time when we are triggered, when our nervous system is dysregulated, we're not going to be feeling the same things that we typically feel. So like for me, my stomach feels very empty and it growls extremely loudly, which can be very embarrassing, (laughs) but like those are my main hunger signals, but there are so many other hunger signals that we don't even, we may not even know about couple of them may be thinking a little bit more about food. It could be getting irritable, could be Mm -hmm. fatigue. It could be a headache. It could be, um, constant. I don't know if I already said this constant thinking about food. It could be the fact that you smell food a little bit more strongly. So like your sense Mm -hmm. is a little bit stronger. Yeah. And then even if all of those are out of tune, we're going to make a plan that we're going to end up eating every two to three hours. And so that way you can set an alarm on your phone. We're just going to do some, a little bit of compensating and adapting, and we're going to figure out basically just a self-care plan for those moments. Yeah. And that way you have a plan in place. So that happens. You're like, I know I need to eat, but I don't know what to eat. Oh, right. I have something in the freezer or, oh, right. We talked about this. I'm going to go through whatever fast food. And then by this time too, hopefully we're making peace with food. So we're not feeling that shame around making those decisions when we need to, because honestly, that is a self-care strategy. Um, even Mm -hmm. if you don't have to choose the most nutritious option every time, yeah, self-care is not necessarily eating all nutritious foods, all whole foods or whatever you may think it is. It's doing what you need in that moment. And in that moment, your mental health may be a little bit more important than your physical health. Yeah. It, it, that's exactly right. And I love what you said about, you know, having maybe things on hand that feel less overwhelming that are, you know, easier and less planning, like having that at all times. Cause if you don't feel like, or you can't get your brain to cook a meal or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you always have options. Yes, I think options. That is such a simple thing. 
that I just didn't consider. And I was just like, well, I'm overwhelmed. And I shut down, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that planning in advance. And it's, it's funny cause I'm also an OT, but we can't really always do that for ourselves. Right. So oh, I'm the worst therapist. I was telling one of my patients, cause I work in a hospital too, for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know currently still have my scraps on, but <laughs> I, um, I was telling a patient today, cause she was like, I wasn't so great with my home exercise program. And I'm like, listen, I have neck pain right now and I'm not doing anything I should be doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, we, we can't be holding to the standard of like, you know, do what I say, not as I do like that's yeah. not because we're, we're all human. We're human. Oh my yes. gosh. We said that at the same time. <laughs> It's true. We are human. That's it. I mean, we're going to have stuff. Right. And like, mm-hmm. you know, even, even when I, like you said, the amount of tr- the amount of trauma work I did and I sat here and I railroaded you for like 20 minutes trauma dumping. And I was like, couldn't control it. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I looked back and I held so much shame over that. And luckily you and I have a great relationship where I was just like, I, and I, I recognize now that my lesson was, I was kind of feeling it eh, and I was like, no, I can make this happen. And I probably should have listened and said, no, let's reschedule. But yeah. I was like, no, we've rescheduled enough. Let's just do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. So my lesson is to listen to my body. Cause I'm not at my best when I'm in a triggered state. Right. Um, the lesson is okay. always to listen to your body. Always, always. Even, even with all this eating stuff, I gotta yeah. say that your body really knows. And if you listen close enough, you're going to understand what you need. Yeah. And, and that's easy to tune out of when it didn't feel safe being present in your environment. And especially when you're feeling disconnected. And if you get into maybe the more of those stressful times, it's easier to disconnect with your body because, and just go on autopilot and go into our survival responses. Right. And so Mm -hmm. just that conscious of, no, I'm going to check in with my body. How am I feeling right now? I'm going to set a timer on my phone. I'm going to eat like those basic things. They may sound silly to some, but they are like life-changing Yeah, and you know, like it can actually change a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It can change the way that you're feeling too, right? Because Mm -hmm. even in those moments, if you're not consciously trying to not eat, um, you're, you're going to feel like crap, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which as we talked about before, if you're not feeling your body, if your body is feeling like crap, your mind's also going to feel like crap. Yeah. So it's not going to help your current situation at all either. So that's Mm -hmm. why self-care is so important. And honestly, when you're, like you said, when you are going through a trigger, you're going through trauma, your body is not safe. And the goal is to get it to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Your body's not going to feel safe if you're not giving it what it needs and it yeah. needs water. It needs sleep. It needs food. It needs movement. It needs all of these things. And mm-hmm. so self-care really is a top priority when you Absolutely. are going through trauma, been through trauma, triggered by trauma. And a lot of that does have to do with your eating. And your routine is the first thing to go when we're stressed out, when we're dysregulated, that structure that we have in our lives, is the first thing to go, which is okay. Right. Like we can't blame ourselves for that because really we're just trying to distract. Like Mm -hmm. that's really all it is. Like even today, when I got home from work, I sat, I literally stood in my kitchen and scrolled on my phone for like 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. just trying to distract from feelings. But Mm -hmm. I think the goal is to be aware of that and to understand like, this is what I'm doing right now. And then give yourself control back by choosing to either do that or choosing to make a choice that would be more beneficial for your self-care Yeah, and then just moving on because really blaming ourselves or being guilty or shaming ourselves for any of the above behaviors is not going to help. It's only going to make things worse. Agreed. And, you know, I love what you've been saying and like wrapping it all up, like, the takeaway for me was like, it's not, it's not the food itself. That's the issue. It's the behaviors around the food. It's the extra skills around it that we need to build. Right. We're not, we're not changing and maybe we're changing diet a little bit, but again, no one likes that word, but you know what I mean? We're changing what we eat maybe a little bit towards we figure out what feels good and it might be Mm -hmm. different than we thought it was. However, um, you know, it's more about the habits around it and the mindset around it and all of that stuff. And it's really can make a significant difference. And I'm just so glad that you're doing this because I already feel better just talking to you. I'm like, Ooh, I figure out like, Oh, I can start doing some of this in my life. This makes sense. Right. Yes. Well, I think the most important thing too, of what you just said is that, and maybe not the most important, but a important thing that I haven't actually explicitly said, but you said it for me Mm -hmm. was that you really have to attack the mindset piece before you can attack the nutrition piece. As the dog is attacking the 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 background. 
not the bone, my other dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about trauma. My other dog here, this one is Aww. going through trauma constantly because Aww. of that one. But, but yeah, you have to attack the mindset. And once you attack the mindset and you get that down, you make peace with food. We can talk about nutrition. Nutrition is important and it can definitely be helpful for our, for our mind and our body health. And so, um, so definitely, I do think that mindset has to come first though. And I think for trauma survivors, especially mindset has to come first, nervous system has to come first, and then we can start really focusing on nutrition. So don't, don't fall for the lies that the only self-care you can give yourself is working out and eating healthy because that ain't going to get you anywhere. If you are still holding trauma in your body. And you can't like, if you can't be like, okay, well, how do I do those things? They're like, just do it. And you're like, but how, <laughs> like, but like, I don't so want to make a full like, meal yeah. and like eat exactly. salads because that takes chopping stuff and that takes forever. And mm-hmm. that sounds not okay. So let me just grab this burger instead. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, thank you so, so, so much for coming back. I know, you know, I, I'm very grateful and I hope that a lot of people got stuff out of that because I sure did. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, connect with you, what can also, if you want to tell a little bit more about your coaching, like packages or anything, feel free. Um, where can they connect with you? Yeah. So thanks for having me today. I'm this honestly was a better conversation on my part too. So I'm glad that yeah. we redid this. <laughs> Sometimes but, a do-over is totally okay. Yes, definitely. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I show up most. And I am at the body image OT. Mm-hmm. And then I do have my own website. It's wellnessrootedwithin.com. And there you can find my wellness coaching packages. I am taking, I think, one more one-on-one wellness coaching um, clients for... I don't know, the unforeseen future. I'm going to try to figure out what is, what I can hold space for with also working a full-time job. Absolutely. But, um, I have a few different packages and you can take a look at those on my website and send me any questions via DM or, um, DM is probably the best because let's be real. I get on social media more than I get on my email, but if you're an email person, (laughs) then my email is wellnessrootedwithin at gmail.com. So perfect. And yeah. And I would say even for people, if you're like, I don't know about coaching yet, she Mm -hmm. shares so much information on intuitive eating. And like, I have learned so much just by following her. So definitely a solid follow, um, especially for those of us survivors who struggle with all of the things revolving around. I mean, there was like easily 3000 people that I know of because they showed up on this reel and I'm sure there's more, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, it's just such a common thing. And there's a lot of shame behind it because it's a basic need. And shouldn't we be able to do that? But there's a lot that goes into it. So definitely. And I know your people are healing people and they're hard workers. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's perfect. Those are my kind of people too. So I'd love to meet you. If you do come by and send me a DM, I'd love to kind of get to know you a little bit. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much, everyone go check her out. Like I said, she's one of my dearest friends started off as internet friends back in the day, and then just turned into the IRL friends, you know, so Mm -hmm. this good stuff, good conversation, all things, nutrition, it's all important. And I just wish you the best of luck with everything. And thank you also for opening up and sharing earlier with the vulnerability and things you share with trauma as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me Tay. Of course. All right, everyone take care. Bye. Did you like what you heard? Spread the word. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share, like, comment, write a review. Connect with us deeper on Instagram at SOS with Dr. Taylor. And all services are on my website at survivorsovercomingsilence.com. I am just so thrilled and honored to hold this space with you all. And thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.